0: It's good to be here this morning, and, and uh, you know, there's, like you said, like several people have said, there's a lot going on in our world right now, and uh, it's uh, sometimes, I think, in, it's good to step back and to look at things, not from the micro level, but from the macro level, you know. And <clears throat> what I mean by that is, you know, you can get so focused on the little details that you miss the big picture, and the big picture is what we always have to keep in mind when it comes to uh, what we're looking at in the world and what's going on right now. A lot of good things um, after we're we're coming on 50 years of Roe and uh, 60 million children that have uh, been uh, killed through uh, Roe versus Wade ruling. And uh, and it's kind of, uh, you know, 50 years is Jubilee. And Jubilee was the year of release. And you think about the ones who are going to be benefiting from this would be the children that will be born. And hopefully many of them adopted uh, from those families who are wanting to give up those children. Uh, for adoption and that that would be a great thing but this morning I just thought uh, my my message I changed it right in the middle of Sunday school I don't know if that was I don't know if it's something Donnie said maybe it was but it just uh, changed the message but uh, it's uh, the the title my message is what does God is what does God saying or what does God say to the nations And particularly, what is God saying to our nation today? I I think it's important sometimes just to have a a message just to pull back and say, okay, what is God saying? What is God doing? Because sometimes as God's people, we kind of get lost in, it's kind of like, sometimes I get lost in the grass and in the, the trees. You know, if I'm in the woods, I get lost. I, I easily get lost in the woods all the time. But, uh, you know, just leave me out in the woods and I'll get lost, you know, because, you know, it's up and down and around and I'm gone, you know, and I'm totally confused. But but what is God saying to the nations and what is he saying to our nation in particular? And so I thought that uh, probably one of the best passages I could think of as I was uh, reading uh, in the Psalms was Psalm two. And uh, because God is actually speaking to the nations in Psalm two. In fact, uh, Psalm two starts off with a question, but, but really uh, there's four voices. Uh, there's four voices, if you, if you will, or four people speaking in Psalm two. And the nations are saying some stuff, and they're outraged. Uh, The world is outraged uh, at what uh, uh, God is doing. And so I wanted to to turn there in Psalm chapter two, or Psalm two, and uh, just read this this morning, and then talk about what is what is God saying to the to our nation? What is God saying to the nations? Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. are those who take refuge in him. And may the Lord add his blessing to uh, his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text, it's a wonderful text that we uh, would want to meditate on as we come to communion. Uh, Lord, that uh, we know that Jesus is king and he's reigning at your right hand and uh, you're subduing uh, all of our enemies beneath his feet. And we know even from uh, these last few days, Lord, you're also going to subdue death itself under His feet. It's the last enemy. And so, Father, while we grieve uh, because of death and because of the death and and uh, uh, things that we see around us and uh, and how it affects our lives, uh, yet Father, we thank you that uh, the grave does not have the last word. That uh, the one who is the resurrection and the life, He has the last word, and uh, He will. Uh, Bury death uh, in its own grave, and uh, we will live with him forever for eternity. We ask that you administer to each heart here this morning, Father, by your grace and your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as uh, I was saying, uh, what's all the commotion about? Uh, some of the responses you're getting, of course, uh, uh, as a result of the Supreme Court's ruling, I think, in some ways, it, is somewhat. We shouldn't be surprised because darkness hates light. And, and so, why? So, the, the psalmist is asking the same question. Now, you, he's writing this psalm, and you know, it's probably David's writing this psalm, we know, from Acts chapter four. But so, the, he's writing this uh, 3,000 years ago. And he's saying that the nations have one goal, and it's always been one goal, and that is, is that the world wants the kingdom of man to rule. And they don't want the kingdom of God. And and so you have this conflict all the way from the beginning throughout the Bible to the end. Even like in Revelation 18, it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the city of man, the city that mankind tries to build to say, look, we are defying God. it's It's a world system that basically says everything goes except God well, doesn't that somewhat describe what's happening in our day? As you, uh, if you listen to the news, if you listen to the news reports, uh, you know, you hear about wokeism, whatever. I mean, I think, why'd they call it wokeism? It just seems strange. Or transgenderism, or, you know, why, 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 all, these, uh, why all this violence and why all this opposition to something that seems to be the right thing? And that is defending and protecting the, 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 those who are the least vulnerable, I mean, the most vulnerable, Right. Uh, One particular, I remember just reading this morning of one particular um, business uh, that sells a lot of outdoor equipment and stuff is, are giving their women 4,000, their employees $4,000 to go have an abortion. That was their response to Roe versus Wade. And you're going like, why? Why is this happening? Well, Psalm 2 gives us a macro view a big picture view of why the nations rage. Why can the nations come together in one kind of almost a unity and almost one voice saying, we want this, but we don't want God. And Psalm 2 is speaking to that in in a a very particular way, specifically because the kings of the earth don't want Jesus Christ as king. And that's what Psalm 2 is all about. And we, we, we always want to say, well, no, there's, there's really, uh, there, there has to be more than two ways. But there's only two ways. There's the kingdom of man and there's the kingdom of God. And God has said he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And there's always going to be this conflict taking place in our world and we need to be aware of that. Otherwise, you know, we'll get, we'll get swept, we'll kind of get swept away with all the commotion and all the disturbance and all the, you know, all the, the noise that, uh, that's going on. Um, and so that's what Psalm 2 is all about. It's uh, the question, I mean, actually, if you, if you go through the Psalm and you read it, you see that four people are speaking, but the nations are speaking. And they're basically saying, we do not want this man to rule over us. And David, of course, is writing about himself, but more particularly, he's looking ahead and he's writing about Jesus Christ. We know that because this is a messianic psalm. And we know that because Peter quotes this psalm in particular in Psalm 4 and says, the nations were raging against Christ. That's why they crucified him. And so he applies this particular messianic psalm to Jesus Christ And he's basically saying, this is why the nations are in an uproar. And ultimately, that uproar is going to end up in the second coming of Christ. It's going to bring about the king coming and uh, overturning and subduing uh, and uh, uh, ridding uh, the world of, you know, his opposition And uh, so there's, so all the noise and commotion, you know, you think about it and you, you know, the um, one particular counselor told this story about, uh, and and the nations are kind of like this little child, you know, this this counselor was giving an illustration about uh, a little party that they were having for, uh, the mother was having for the little girl in the class, and I think it was a kindergarten class. And uh, what was happening was that uh, this one little boy was making a lot of racket and he was just disrupting the whole party, and she'd spent so much time preparing for the party. And finally, one of the mothers went over to the little boy, took him to the side, and said this, it's not your party. (laughs) And that's what Jesus, that's what God is saying to us, that it's Christ's party, it's Christ's church, it's Christ's kingdom. And God has made a decree, and he's put Jesus on the throne. He's on the throne right now. We don't make him king. He is king, you know. And uh, he is Lord already, and God is saying that to the kings because they're going, they continue to plot. And notice they're plotting in what? They're plotting in vain. Uh, the kings of the earth, are, they set themselves up. The rulers take counsel, and they take counsel together, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. In other words, they're saying, I don't like this yoke uh, that God has placed upon mankind. They don't like the law of God. They don't like right and wrong. God says, this is right, this is wrong. And the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like you saying that there's such a thing as light and darkness, that there's such a thing as right and wrong. They want to say, no, there's a third or fourth or maybe a fifth alternative. But so the world doesn't, that's how the world reacts. That's how the sinful man reacts against the law of God. And so, the, so we, as God's people, sometimes, I think sometimes we wonder, well, why is this happening? And it's almost as if, we would say, well, it doesn't make sense. Why would anyone not want to protect the innocent? I mean, it just sounds reasonable, right? But it sounds reasonable to us because we believe that God has given an ethic in Scripture that that's, doesn't change. That loving God and loving your neighbor is consistent throughout all history. It's It's a part of what makes civilization, right? Loving God and loving your neighbor is a part of God's plan. And so this hostility that the world is having is a hostility ultimately against Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter says in Acts 4.25. He says, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointing. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So even the cross God had predestined. And he says, you only allowed that. See, God allows certain things. Doesn't mean that he's, he's supporting that. But God, but God ordained that Christ would die on the cross for our sins. And his plan took place because God intended for Christ's death and resurrection to be the means for him to become our Savior and also for him to be anointed Lord and Savior for us. As his people, so um, and so Peter, as he's preaching this to the nations, he's saying now, and then when they said, the nation says, "Then well, what should we do?" Of course, Peter says, "Repent," <laughs> because the message of the gospel is very clear. This is what God says, and this is what God wants. And the response, of course, we'll see later on in the passage. But, but but the point is, is that the world is going to oppose Christ. But guess who else is going to oppose? He opposes God's anointed, the Messiah, and everyone who has what? Received the anointing. And we, know, we learned from 1 John, I think it's chapter 3, that we have received the anointing, right? That anointing that we receive by the spirit that makes us Christians means that the world is going to be opposed to Christians and to Christianity and to the church and try to force its morality or its immorality upon the church to accept that. And that's happening by the the way it's happening in a lot of denominations right now. They are trying to force um, a lot of those types of things, Uh, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's transgenderism, whatever, all of these things, it's basically saying, look, You're wrong. We're right. If you want to be, if you want to be getting our support, then you need to change. So what? What's happening is you're 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 having this collision taking place. And what happens eventually is that there's persecution that's coming to the church. And I, I think that we as Christians need to realize that that's going to happen. It's happening all the, all the way around us already. I mean, it's happening uh, in the Middle East all the time. It's happening in, in uh, places like China constantly. People are being persecuted for their faith. Um, it's, it's happening. I mean, it happened in 1949 when the communists took over China. Do you realize that there were, there were like tw- twice as many people killed by, by the Chinese twice as many Christians killed by the Chinese when they took over China. Communism took over China was something like, um, it was double of what was it, was, it was almost three times what Hitler killed. We don't think about that, but, but I mean, they, this is what they were doing to pastors who would not, that would not deny Christ in China in 1949. Some of those believers were crucified on the walls of the churches. For refusing to deny Christ, others were dragged to death behind a horse or a vehicle. Many were shot right on the spot, and, and it was all because they wouldn't deny Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't think that that couldn't happen in America, nor should we think that 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 it's pro, that it that it, that it's not, because we say we live in a free country, but we can see that that's that's that that pressure is starting to build, isn't it? I mean, think about uh, my daughter works at a crisis, uh, uh, it's not a crisis pregnancy unit in Huntington, but uh, as they passed this legi- legislation, I was like calling to say, are you okay? Do you need, to? you know, because they were bombing these, these clinics that were helping pregnant women take care of their children. And you said, well, why would they do that? Well, because... They hate the truth. And now, does that mean we shouldn't be involved in uh, politics? Of course, I know Greg is. And and, uh, yes, we should be involved. Christians should be involved. And we should have a voice. But does that mean that that's going to be the thing that holds back the darkness? The darkness is going to continue to attack and try to dismantle and try to intimidate and to cause Christians to not speak up the truth, right? Right? But what do we have? We have the gospel, the dynamite of God, it says. The gospel is the dynamite, the dunamis of God. That's the word dynamite. It's the dynamite of God. It's the power of God, what? Unto salvation. So the world needs to hear, there's a better message out there. There's something of hopeful about the gospel. It not only releases you from the burden and guilt of sin, but it also gives you hope. It gives you purpose and direction. But notice how God responds to all this, all this negativity that we see around us. When you turn the news on, how long does it take you before you get frustrated? <laughs> five seconds. No, I mean, you know, uh, it depends on which news you're watching. But even if you watch the good news, uh, which we would, you know, we would say, uh, but within what five minutes, we're just fuming, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, you can't help but to be frustrated, right? You're, you're going to be frustrated. But how does God respond? Does he change his plan? God says, well, you know, I'm just worried that people are just going to be so upset that if I do the that I know it, this is the right plan and this is what I planned from all eternity past. God doesn't change, but he sits there and he laughs. In fact, it says in verse 4, he who sits in the heavens, he laughs at ideas, he laughs them in derision. He just says, Oh, how silly you people are acting down there. You think you're in control. Do you, Congress? you think you're in control? President, do you think you're in control? Uh, whatever, you know. But God looks down and he, sa- he laughs at that. And he says, that is so silly. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, you remember he was walking around on his balcony. And Daniel had told him, you need to repent. And he says, he walked around on his balcony. And he says, look at this great Babylon, which I have built with my own hands my own wisdom, my own power, my own riches. And God says, this day it's taken away from you. You're going to become a madman. And he actually went crazy, and he's out there eating grass. This is the great Nebuchadnezzar that had conquered, I mean, that actually, I mean, he had conquered Jerusalem. He had taken away Daniel in captivity, and yet now he's eating grass like an animal for, uh, we don't know how many years. Until God says, until it says, until I lifted up my eyes and I gave thanks to the God of heaven, I acknowledge that, yes, you are the one that's reigning. (laughs) And God restored his mind. So we shouldn't think that the world is in control of God's agenda. God's agenda is one thing He is building His church. And if you're a part of His church, which we are, we are a part of his church, he's going to, he says the gates of hell shall not, it actually means the gates of hell will not withstand the church. So that tells me that we have a message that can blow down the doors of hell. It's not, that the, it's not like th- that the church, God's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It's not like they're, they're attacking. And, oh boy, we're just this poor little measly group of people and we're never going to be able to stand against the, the onslaughts of Satan. No, it means that they, the hell cannot resist the, devil, resist the gospel. Satan cannot resist what God's plan is. God's plan is to fill this earth with the knowledge of God. It will happen It may not happen in my day, but we do know this is that when Christ returns, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. But think about it. How many people are being saved? We say, well, I don't know too many here. Maybe not in this valley right right now, but there's been people saved in the last year. I mean, we know people have come to Christ. But think about all the nations There's people all over. South America, um, Africa, there's, I mean, Africa's experienced revival. The church is strong in Africa. South America, the church is strong in in South America. Uh, People in Korea, I mean, there's, there's thousands of people just flocking to the church. I mean, I thought, well, wait there, after COVID hit, these churches, the churches would be filled, didn't you? People would just be, just be, they can't wait to go through, get to, get to church and to hear what God has to say. And we haven't seen it. But you know, we don't stop praying. We don't stop trusting. We don't stop saying, Lord, then what the world needs to hear is the message that you've given us. And it sorts through all this chaos. The word Babylon means confusion. by the way so the city of confusion is going to fall all all of man's scheming all of his planning all of his just reviling God all of that's just going to fall like a house of cards that's all it is is a house of cards I, I worked for some big corporations at one time DuPont and I thought well you know man this place I mean they're so big they're worldwide they'll never fall well guess what this has been divided up so many different ways I thought, well, th- 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 those people, I mean, they're they're that's a powerhouse. <laughs> no, it, it's not anymore. And, and, but God says, but God's response is he laughs. And then it says, he who sits in the heavens, verse 4, laughs, and the wor- Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me... This is what I got to say. So here's God's, what, this, is God, this is what God's talking about. This is God's voice. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God's saying, Jesus is king. And when God raised him to his right hand, exalted him to his right hand after the resurrection, and he, sa- and he said, uh, and basically said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. He's exalted at God's right hand. He is the king. God has made him, Peter says this, God has made him both Lord and Messiah. The Lord, the Lord means that he's sovereign. God, in other words, he's, he's sovereign as God already, as equal with God, but he's sovereign in a new way. He's got all authority over heaven and earth. So who has control over what's going on? It's not the devil. Now the devil has, he's on a long leash. And you say, well, he's doing a lot of damage. No, but when God wants to save somebody, he'll save them. We should never think that Satan, Satan can try to hinder God's work, but he cannot stop God's work. He does not have the power to stop God's work. (laughs) Otherwise, he's stronger than God. And God says, I will bring the nations into the church. And he's doing that. I mean, it's amazing. One of the people that you heard last week, I think it was Peter, right? I mean, he's, he's having a, a big impact on the Arabic community through his ministry. Think about it. These are people that are coming over from there, coming here to get educated, and they're hearing the gospel. Uh, we've got friends who are in Egypt who are uh, they're sending out missionaries to Sudan and other places. Uh, as they uh, are preaching the gospel, so God is speaking, and He's basically saying, "Look, I, Jesus is King. I've installed Him." But then there, but notice the Son speaks here, verse seven. I will tell of the decree. So this is this is another voice here. And the Lord said to me, and so you, you so who is this to me? God says, "You are my Son. Today I've begotten you." ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel you know where you read this again read it in Revelation he rules with a rod of iron Jesus Christ and Jesus is saying the Lord said God said to him you are my son he said that at his baptism he said that at his transfiguration and then he he said that as an exaltation at his right hand so God, so the son is basically saying, well, God's already told me that I'm... In other words, the resurrection declared Jesus to be the son of God. Because that was the very accusation. Remember, the high priest said this, are you the son of God? And Jesus said, are you saying that? Or do you know that? And when they really made him say, swear, he said, I am the son of God. And you shall see the son of God, what? Coming in the clouds. <laughs> And that, that son of God was—he's king, he's sovereign. And uh, Romans one four says he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Acts two thirty two and the Jesus Christ and this Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the promise the the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. What we see in Acts 2 is Jesus, as he's exalted to the right hand of the Father, it says he poured out the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you have a gift as a Christian, that's because God, the Holy Spirit, was poured out, and Jesus Christ gave you the gift. Um, That, that's, that's basically what happened at Pentecost. So, so Peter was saying this, we know that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that he's, that he's in control and he's reigning because he's poured out the gifts here. And one of those gifts, of course, was they were speaking in tongues, but there were other gifts like helps and there were other gifts of prophecy and so forth and so on. But all authority has been given to Christ. So what should be our response What should be the nation's response? So when you go out into this community or any community, what should be our response to the unsaved? Well, this fourth voice tells us it's the voice of the evangelist. Now what? Verse therefore. Now therefore, verse 10. O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled and blessed are those who take refuge in him. So there's one, re- so, so one of the responses he says, you know, is that we can say, you know, kings, you need to submit. When Paul preached the gospel in Acts 17 on, uh, on the Mars Hill, you know what he told the nation? He says, God commands men everywhere to do one thing. Repent. Because he's, called, because he's chosen a day which he's going to judge all the nations now, I don't care how high and mighty they might think they are, <laughs> but God says, repent. God just basically says, you either kiss the son, kissing the sun was like you, you got down on your knees and you kissed the feet of the king. So you either kiss the king and acknowledge the king and submit to his authority, or he says the alternative is that you're going to get broken. You're going to get judged. Uh, in other words, the, the the two kind of go hand in hand but but the point that the that the evangelist i think is saying here is that look god is holding out uh, it's almost like he's holding out um what do you call that when you want to make peace with someone yeah an olive branch god's a holding out an olive branch and he's saying you know i want peace it was like MacArthur when uh, MacArthur uh, was at the end of World War II and Hirohito uh, uh, was the emperor. And uh, he came up to General MacArthur at, uh, at, the, at, the, at the signing of the of – the, they were basically an unconditional surrender. And, uh, and he walked up with his sword on and everything and, you know, saluted each other. And, and uh, MacArthur didn't do anything. And he held out his hand and he says, the sword, please. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your sword. Lay down your sword. Stop fighting. And that's what God tells people who are don't love, that that are opposed to the gospel. Stop fighting God. You can't do it. You can't win. You either submit and enjoy the blessings of God's presence and God's goodness and God's love and grace, and and either you kiss the sun or you're in danger of being destroyed. And, uh, and ultimately being defeated, and that's what you see. In, uh, so, so what the kings are saying is this, and this is what man in his uh, his ultimately in his pride says: I don't want God to reign over me. I remember, uh, uh, who was it that wrote uh, "I Did It My Way"? Uh, one song out there. I think Frank Sinatra. "I Did It My Way." I don't want to do it God's way, (laughs) but that's really kind of the attitude of mankind, isn't it? I did it my way. It's my way or the highway, and God says, "Well, no, there is another way." And there's the way of life. There's a way of forgiveness. There's a way. But to see, you know, the evangelist is doing one thing here. He's doing for us what we, if we were on in that camp before we got saved, guess what? We were like that too. We were enemies of God. And what did God have to do? We heard, I mean, Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, was trying, was out raging against Christians. He was taking them and throwing them in prison. He was actually sitting there enjoying Stephen being killed as a martyr and approving that. But what did God do? God opened his eyes. It's almost like God had just kind of hit him in the face. And Paul is blind and he's fa- he falls on his face and, and, and he's thinking that he's doing the right thing. And then when God opens his eyes, he realizes that he's been fighting against God. And he bows the knee and he submits to, he kisses the sun and he says, thank you for saving me. Thank you for opening my eyes and giving me the light so that I could see that my sin was what was keeping me away from God and for the forgiveness that I need in God. In other words, your yoke is not a heavy yoke. And the gospel, I think, is when we come to the gospel and, you know, and people are saying, well, you know, that, that you know, you're just, you know, it's just, just, it's just the Bible is just so narrow and so, so, so confining and, and the yoke is just so heavy. I mean, it's, you know, and, and Jesus says, no, come to me for my yoke is what? It's easy. It's light. The gospel actually what does it do? It lifts the burdens of sin off of us and it yokes us. Now you know what a yoke is, right? You get yoked to somebody that's you get yoked to somebody, but that somebody is Jesus. When you get saved, you're getting yoked to Jesus. And what God promises is that He'll carry the burden for you. So if you're carrying a burden, you need to give it to Jesus. Because you're yoked to Jesus. And he says, I want to carry your burden. Cast all your burdens upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. He's yoked you to Jesus. That's the gospel. And so that's why he's saying, and notice how it ends on a very positive. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Guess what? God's yoke becomes the greatest blessing you'll ever receive, being yoked to Jesus. He's a friend that will never fail you, He's a a friend that will never lie to you. He calls him, he says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep so that he could give his life to his sheep. He says, I am the bread of life. You eat of this bread, he says, "You'll, you'll never hunger again. And if you believe on me, you'll never thirst again. And so when we come to the table, that's what we're doing. We're, kind of, we're saying, you know, Lord, this yoke is awfully light. <laughs> and you're taking my burdens and you're carrying those burdens. You didn't tell me. I mean, that's why we pray. We pray because we can cast those burdens on Jesus today. And say, no matter what I'm going through, no matter how difficult, how hard, I've got a friend who always is there, who's always listening, who always understands, who will carry my burden and I don't have to carry it myself. And that, uh, I think, is one of the the great blessings of of just being a, a Christian, I think, is just being able to keep my eyes on one place. Are your eyes focused on the throne? Jesus is on the throne. God has set him there, God the Father, and he's ruling there, and he's just waiting to come back to what? Claim us for his own. And if we're, still wa- if we're still alive when that happens, uh, we're going to just it's a, be caught up together with him. And if we've already left this life and left this body, it says that our bodies will be raised again. And we'll say this. We'll say this to the grave. We'll say, oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Isn't that amazing that you can actually... I mean, what God has done is he's taken the sting. It's like, you know, I don't know if you've been stung by a wasp or something or a bunch of bees. Man, that hurts, doesn't it? Oh, jeez. And it really keeps hurting until you get that stinger out, right? What has God done? Jesus, at the cross and at the resurrection, pulled the sting out of death. So that, that, that death doesn't say, I got you. God says, no, he doesn't have you. I do we step out of this body into the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So we're going to sing this last uh, hymn, actually as a uh, preparation for us coming to the table and uh, enjoying uh, our yoke with Jesus. And uh, that communion reminds us of that yoke. And it's